books is an excellent occupation. We like to read, we like to read, we like to read. I just walk my child Talk about the books that we read and we'll say really awesome things. You're gonna love it. Come read a book or maybe don't even read it. Just listen to us. Lindsay and Sarah's book club is the best book club you'll ever join. It requires very minimal effort and you can participate in your pajamas. I think that's an important prerequisite. Hello? Hello, Lindsay. Hi, Sarah. Oh, my word. It's been ages. Sarah, I think it's been at least seven or eight years. Yes. (laughs) Um, I'm, you know, I've been busy, girl. I've been doing some stuff. Yeah. And uh, I've been missing missing you and our listeners. What kind of stuff have you been doing? Who's that I hear in the background, Sarah? Is that Cadence? I went and got me a new baby. (gasps) Did you? I did. At the baby store? Yeah, I went. It was like, you know what? It's a pandemic. Now is a good time. I'm home a lot. I'm going to go get me a baby. That and, uh, is a really good plan. That seems like excellent timing. <laughs> yeah. We're also recording in our new house. We went and got our, our very first house. It's kind oh, of exciting. My goodness. Kind of a big deal. New house and a new baby. I mean, what right. what's next? That's right. Nothing can hold me down. <laughs> not, not a... Nothing. <laughs> Yes, of course, this is all pretense. Of, uh, I, I visited you, actually, not too long ago. Yeah. Just a couple of months. It was it like right... And that was the first time in, like, years. So that, that was amazing. That actually is true. That is the first time we, we were in the same place. We we actually, we ahead, ahead of that trip, we said that we should record a podcast while we're there in the same place, and then we just didn't do it. Because we were having so much fun. We were. We didn't have time. Yeah. Um, but I did get to visit. I did get to meet um, Maisie. Mm-hmm. And... She's wonderful. And spend time with your BFF, Pearl. Yes. Oh, man. Pearl and I really bonded. We watched a lot of Kiff Nest videos. If anybody hasn't seen those, um, I I pity you. I pity the fool who hasn't watched all of the Kiff Nest videos. I was watching yeah. them right before we started recording. There's a new one with ducks. I love it. What will he do next? <laughs> P- perhaps elephants. I don't uh, know. We don't know. I think he probably sticks with more domestic animals, though. It it seems that way. It, yes. Maybe chickens. Uh, I could see him doing some chickens. Yeah. Not like doing chickens, but like, you I, know what I, I mean. I knew what you meant. I didn't <laughs> even go there. I don't know why you did. I apologize. But I was thinking maybe if he wanted to go exotic, like alligators. Yeah. That would be yeah. fun. Peacocks actually would be really nice to auto-tune because they yeah. sound so awful. Be- they do. <laughs> yeah. That's just a little sample of the types of animal noises I can make for you. <laughs> Would you like to it's hear more like the horse? I, I get a lot of horse practice, <laughs> yeah, but and I'm pretty peacocks, good. At... Peacocks are more like, yeah! 
Yeah, they're really pretty, but they're they're assholes. I mean, they're fine. It's not really I think what I'm pretty. into, but you know, <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. You're more of a guinea fowl kind of person. Is that I am? Or your yeah, jam? That's true. <laughs> so anyway, hi, Glenn and Cadence too. We haven't talked to Glenn and Cadence in a really long time. I mean, they've been here the whole time. Yeah, but, but we've ignored them. We've been ignoring them pretty consistently throughout this podcast, actually. I think probably we've been ignoring, like, our listeners and patrons as well. Not oh. on purpose, but... Oh, Sarah, it- wow. That was a really seamless way to introduce the fact that we actually have patrons now. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I know. And um, and uh, I don't think there's a way that I can apologize enough for us <laughs> falling off the face of the earth. Um, <laughs> it wasn't planned, obviously. It's just no. been a lot. And I'm sure they understand that, but also we're glad to be back and we're hopeful that we will be providing you with some excellent content to yes. make up for being missing in action for like a year or it's something. It's true. It's true. But yeah, let's so let's thank our patrons. So so Katie and Nicole had the bad fortune mm-hmm. of becoming our patrons <laughs> at exactly the moment that we decided to never record a show ever again. <laughs> we didn't and decide s- that. It just happened. <laughs> So I'm really sorry, Katie and Nicole. We've been we were really excited when you signed up to be to be patrons. It touched our hearts, um, and we're definitely going to actually produce content now. So thank yeah. you. If not, we'll just have to schedule to come to your house and clean it or something um, to yeah. make up for not recording for you. No, I, I think that's reasonable. And you know, if uh, if those of you, those other three of you listening, if you'd also like to become patrons, looking at you, Glenn, uh, you can do that at Patreon.com/slash on the same page. If you wanted to send us an email, you could do that at onthesamepagepod at gmail.com. If you mm-hmm. wanted to tweet her at us, Sarah, I, where is that? What What is that handle? <laughs> oh, I was not prepared for that question. <laughs> you know what? I anticipated that, so I looked it up myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you just wanted to show the class how unprepared I was? That's really a mean teacher. So our Twitter handle is at Watts Podcast. So that's W-O-T-S-P Podcast. So you can tweet her at us there. Um, you could rate and review us. That'd be cool. But only but only if you like us. We, yeah, well. We don't want your review if you don't like us. Please I don't, don't know. Do I've got that. a pretty open mind about these kinds of things. I'd, I, I'd be interested to hear what kind of, of hate, hate mail or hate reviews we would get. I think that would be interesting. Yeah, I'd just rather them send us hateful emails. Then we can read them on air, but it wouldn't affect our rating. That's what that's, I would like. So if you that, could do that, true. haters, that'd be excellent. That's true. It's true. And I'm glad that you said that because this is new, right? So we always tell people where we, where they can find us on, on Facebook and, and and Twitter and whatnot and the emails and everything. But but we actually have a new way to contact us that we're very excited about. I, I set up yes. a, a Google voicemail where you can leave us messages. If you do that, you are consenting to have your message played on the show. You should know that. Mm-hmm. But Yeah. That's oh, Maisie, Maisie, and and she she doesn't know how she feels about that plan. She's a little apprehensive, but uh, I'm you know what Maisie, it's gonna be okay. That's the law, Maisie. That's <laughs> sorry, um, but yeah. So if you wanted to do that, our our voicemail, and I'll I'll try to work this into a something that shows up in every, but our our voicemail i'll put in the show notes that's how this works right yeah. i forgot how this works. Um, okay, I'll put in the show notes. The voicemail number is five four zero nine two nine one two seven zero. Right. And that'll be in the show notes. So if you didn't get a chance to write that down just now, you just look in the show notes. It's right there. It's in the podcast description. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, we're a yeah, little we rusty do. at this. <clears throat> yeah. Only a little. What are we talking about today, Sarah? 
Is this another just another opportunity for me to look unprepared? No, I'm, we're going to talk about a lot of things because we never can just talk about one thing. But the book we were reading um, before we died um, was yeah. was by Eddie Izzard. And I want to say now we, you know, we discovered Eddie before Eddie was a big deal, obviously. Obviously. We so, liked Eddie before Eddie was cool. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I think we were probably an integral part of making Eddie cool. I don't I don't know if anybody knows that about us, but we're kind of a big deal. Anyway, the point is that when we first knew Eddie, Eddie had not transitioned um, the use of Eddie's pronouns. Yes. So I am going to try very hard to use the correct pronouns now, which are she. The preference is she. I believe that Eddie is also comfortable with other pronouns, but I'd like to go with first preference, and that she, is she. She. So, no, I mean she has she has changed her preferences over time about this, but like yes. I think as of like December 2020, she was like I am now permanently in. She, she like identifies as gender fluid, but she's like I am now permanently in girl mode. Gotcha. And I prefer she, her okay. pronouns exclusively. So, okay. Yeah. So we're going to, we, I, I echo that. We're going to try very, very hard to not misgender Eddie. And if we do misgender Eddie, I'll probably try to edit our, it out. We're going to correct our, no, we'll just correct ourselves. And yes. I just wanted people to know it's, it's not, it's not at all about disrespecting Eddie. It's just no. a habit that we're trying to unlearn. So yes, yes. Well said. Well said. Um, and it, so before we get into Eddie's book, which I really enjoyed and Sarah, I think, has mixed feelings about. And we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> I don't have mixed feelings about Eddie. Just No, of course not. No. But before we get into that, I just I, I did want to introduce a new segment that we're trying to do on the show that you can participate in if you want to call in and leave a voicemail. Um, we are going to be reading reviews. This is our – what did we decide we were going to, tell, to call it? It's like the, the absolutely very real reviews segment. Is that what it is? Yes. Um, we might do real reviews too, but these are mostly um, outright lies. So I just <laughs> – <Okay. laughs> thought we were going to play this straight, Zara. Okay, fine. fine. Oh. They're fake no, reviews. No, no, no. They're real. They're real. Very real. Oh, mature, mature. Mature. <laughs> I like that. It's the mature reviews segment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we have uh, we have a couple of reviews that someone left on our brand new voicemail, and uh, we're gonna share those with you. So here's the here's the first here's the first review that we received. Hi, my name is Robert, and I am from uh, Alaska, and I have never had more money than I do now. I'm a patron of WhatsApp. I bought seven Lamborghinis, and I can afford Grubhub tacos for dinner every night. Sarah and Lindsay bring the real prosperity gospel, even all the way up here in Alaska. So that was from <laughs> Thank that you, Robert. From Robert. Robert, that's amazing. We are so glad that our secret has made it all the way up to your beautiful state. I can't I can't do it. You can't do it. It's so good. It is <laughs> it's wonderful. You. Thank you, Robert. Yeah. I'm crying. <laughs> Tears of gratitude. <laughs> okay, let's play our next review, Sarah. Okay. <clears throat> I don't know if I can take any more compliments. <laughs> Maisie is overwhelmed. So, this... <clears throat> I'm sorry, Maisie. Uh, so, this review is from a completely different listener. <laughs> <laughs> totally different <laughs> they don't even know each other no they don't it's a completely different listener named esteban 
I didn't know we had so many male listeners. This is exciting stuff. <laughs> I know, right? It's so good. Who okay. <laughs> so let's hear from Esteban. Uh, hi. Um, I don't want to use my real name, so let's say that I'm called Esteban, and I'm from the UK, uh, U- Ukraine. Ukraine. Esteban from the Ukraine. Being a patron of WhatsApp, was, uh, it's just really helped me with my erectile dysfunction. Ever since I signed up on www.patreon.com, forward slash on the same page and selected the Lindsay membership, I've become so vivacious in the bedroom, I'm, I'm prematurely ejaculating every time. Um, and my wife is still unsatisfied, but at least I'm feeling better. <laughs> uh, again, my name is uh, uh, Esteban, and I am from the Ukraine. <laughs> oh, Esteban! <laughs> we're so we're so thrilled. <laughs> you know, when we sat down and we talked about what are our goals and our aims as podcasters. Curing erectile dysfunction was among, I would say, the top five, if I'm remembering correctly. You know, it was like, entertain the masses, have a good time, drink some drinks, uh, cure erectile dysfunction. So so it is wonderful to see that we have actually made progress toward toward our goals. You can do it. Lizzie, you can do it. It's too funny. You can do it. It's not that it's too funny, it's that it's too moving. It's too, <laughs> it's too motivating and inspiring. I mean, what we're doing matters. <laughs> there, there's I'm, a man out there providing I'm better weeping. subpar experience for his wife. I think I'm getting it together. I think I'm going to be okay. Thank you so much to Robert and Esteban. <laughs> um totally stranger listeners yeah Yeah. just two of our of our satisfied male listeners (laughs) (laughs) please if you'd like to share your voice and how our podcast has changed your life find us on patreon um you can uh, call into our voicemail send us an email you have so many options of how to tell us how much we've changed your life it's true. Um, and, you know, we have one more review, but I don't think I can handle it. We're going to have to save it to the next episode, Sarah. Yeah. I'm very excited to read Jennifer's review, but I'm going to die if I read <laughs> <laughs> one more of yeah. these or if I listen yeah. to one more of these. So, okay. Uh, we're going to, we're just going to save that one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right. Well, that was fantastic. Uh, as is our MO. We are like 15 minutes into this recording and um, we have introduced the subject, but have we named the book? <clears throat> no, we have not. So, so the name of the book that we are talking about for today is called uh, Believe Me, subtitle, A Memoir of Love, Death and Jazz Chickens. And as we said, this is written by the wonderful and unparalleled unrivaled eddie izzard and apparently laura zygman um also helped eddie to write this book so she's probably the driving force but behind any semblance of of structure in this uh (laughs) delightful (laughs) yes i would say she probably provided that for us so yes thank you to her as well yes thank you thank you laura um so yeah i read this book um i read the whole thing (laughs) zara I was sorry. I was taking a sip of my Crown Apple and Sprite, Ooh. which is a oh, classy. Oh, I forgot to say, yeah, we're drinking Saturday morning on this drink, Saturday morning. So, yeah, yeah. 
Um, it's brunch. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but the book, um, I, so I want to say that I love and adore Eddie have ever since I first heard her when I was in college, mm-hmm. it's been a lifelong or a mostly lifelong, like thread that connects me to Lindsay. Like this is just, it's us, it's true. right? This so is how I we, love... I mean, we speak to each other in Eddie. Like so many Correct. of our it's a, inside yes. jokes are Eddie. It's, it's a dialect, um, yes. if not its own language. So <laughs> anyway, um, I, I say all of that to say that I really, I did not love the book. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I think there were some things that I really liked about it. I, of course, loved hearing Eddie read the book. Yes. Um, and there were elements I loved. It, it was a little, as a person with attentional issues of my own, it, mm-hmm. I found it difficult to follow at times. Um, I also <laughs> think I was at a weird time in my life. I think I, I was I was pretty you pregnant, were, right? You were quite pregnant, yes. Um, And I, I just, I didn't... I, I, I think I didn't have space in my head for anything but like urban fantasy <laughs> um, if yeah. that makes sense like just it it was hard for me to follow it felt a little manic at times and so I don't well it did and it does and he and she is right I mean at times a yeah little. she she is somewhat hyperactive we could say yeah that'd be fair and I, and I no judgment because that's that's kind of me too I'm, sure. i am that way as well but i just feel like with our powers combined me and eddie it was a lot so <laughs> i remember I, there was like there was one day that you had been listening to some of it and you were like it's like having a child in the back seat that won't shut the fuck up <laughs> like, i um <laughs> i think i probably did say that and yeah. i also we get it you're an atheist um i <laughs> Well, and there's a couple of things like this. We should we should come back to that yeah, because yeah. so so we'll come back to this. But like, yes, there she there's a couple of things that she says, like she inserts constantly throughout the book. And like one of them is like, but by the way, there is no God. Yeah. And another one is, oh, and by the way, sugar is evil. Yeah. And yeah. it's a drug. Right. And, and it's like I, I get her point with that. But like I have problems with the addiction cr- framing of a lot of things like this. And yeah. And it's like, I don't know. So we, we should come back to all of this. But so I uh, but I do want to contrast your reaction with the one mm-hmm. that I had because it was like immediately obvious what I was in for when I started mm-hmm, listening to this mm-hmm. book. And by the way, anybody who, who wants to read this should absolutely, absolutely. get the audio version. It yeah. Eddie reads it. She is amazing. And like, you're actually, if you buy the printed version, you're only getting like half the book. You because, are, absolutely. <laughs> because she she does these things. She starts calling them like extra footnotes in the in the recording. And yeah. it's just like, you know, her... And those like, are sort a of, treasure. Those are, yeah. they, they are fantastic. And she's like, she's just responding to her own text. So she's like, she's reading the book that she wrote. And every so often she'll be like, oh, that's a really good point. And it's like, <laughs> and then, like goes off on this tangent. Yeah. And it's fantastic. And so like, I, do, I totally, I take everything you're saying about it being, mm-hmm. you know, all, very scattered. There's not like a, there's no overview of the plot that we can really do here. It's right. not a book that you can do that with. But I was like, oh, so this is a directionless, a directionless float that I'm in yeah. for. And I'm like, I am so here for it. I think it's probably because I wasn't pregnant at the time. Yeah. And- well, and I mean, I think, I think I will probably try to revisit this again when I'm, yeah. when I'm less, like when my cognitive is all in place and <laughs> when everything's And all your better. executives are functioning. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. And that, by the way, that is a, um, 
that that is a term coined by me so <laughs> don't go out using the whole executives functioning thing i'm definitely the only person ever thought of that phrase um or at least use it people should pay royalties exactly so. i will i will sue you like paris hilton but but you i know, won't i think because i, I think know. part of it too sarah is like I think that if you go back and even if you listen to it now and, you know, you've still got a lot of demands on your time, but if you were listening to it not to prepare for a recording about it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that it would probably be a different experience and you could kind of just like yeah. go with it. No, I think so too. I was in a, I was in a really tricky headspace there when I was feeling yeah. miserable and we were trying to buy, buy a house in this market and stressed about mm-hmm. money and all those things. It was, it was, I don't want to say it was like a dark time because that's not fair. But it was a very stressful time. Stressful. And so, yeah. yeah, it's like I didn't have headspace for it. But to be fair, though, like, it it did feel like every time I listened to it, it was like me and Eddie were having a private book club. And yeah. Eddie was just the only one allowed to talk. Um, and, <laughs> and she did. As it should be. <laughs> Goodness. But yeah, no, yeah. it's it's very, that's one thing that I've always loved about Eddie is very accessible, very genuine and authentic. Um, it yeah. never feels like a performance. It feels like a sharing of of thoughts and yeah it just i I don't know like the the it was it was kind of ironic to me or it's not ironic like i understood it but like it was kind of ironic that that it was so hard to get through this because like the the things that made the book hard to get through i think are like i i don't know it's like yeah never mind i'm gonna abandon things that that remind you of me (laughs) a little bit yeah that is actually where i was going yeah right and and that's and that's why i love talking to you that's why like this this book club is really fun but i also think it's it's why some people don't like talking to me (laughs) well i mean they can fuck right off so and that's why i like talking to you Yeah, so so like I do I do recommend this book to people strongly. Yeah. And I you know, I think it's good to to sort of describe accurately what it is and like the things about it that might be barriers to people getting into it, but like at the same time it's like oh, man, the extra footnotes are amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's so funny because like you can definitely hear eddie getting irritated with herself sometimes she's like wow this is like the longest footnote in the world like this isn't <laughs> it's yeah. just defy you know it stretches the the credulity of the the definition of footnote or you know this so it's like it's very self-deprecating it's very authentic as you were saying it's um i don't know the experience of having her read the book i think is just like mm-hmm. it was very special i really yeah she's it. reading it to you mm-hmm. and only you <laughs> yes yes that is that is absolutely true yeah it i think that this kind of captures the mood at some point in the book and i i, I excerpted this because i thought it was a nice synopsis of what's going on in the book she's talking about how the book is in, <laughs> giving giving readers an opportunity to live in her head for a little bit and i was like yes that's absolutely true that is exactly what it's doing um what a place and i, yeah. I just i thought this quote was worth reading so she said quote Instead of creating moments of heightened emotion and drama, writing this book has been an attempt to explain what actually has happened in my life. It's been a way for me to say, would you like to have a chat where you never get a word in edgewise? <laughs> oh, that's funny because that's kind of what I, what I just exactly said. What uh, yeah, no, and that's and that's part of it is like maybe I got irritated because of, truly the, the internal dialogue of Eddie does sometimes remind me of my own uh, in a lot of ways that frustrate me about myself. Um, mm. so, I mean, you know, maybe there's a little bit of, you know, Freudian shit going on. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Hmm. Oh, and we'll come back to Freud. There's, there's many <laughs> places course, for Freud, will, Freud to plug in We will come here. back to Freud. Everyone does. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so I just, I thought that was funny. 
Yeah, so, you know, there's really, this is going to be a meandering, directionless float of a podcast because that is the truest reflection of this book that I can do. So there are like a handful of things that I think we both found interesting and provocative. I'm going to introduce them and then we'll have a conversation about them, if that sounds good. So, I mean, I guess the, if there is a coherent sort of arc of the book Eddie is going through her life in, in roughly a chronological order most of the time. And so there's, um, I think, actually, probably, you know, the first part of the book where, you, where she's talking about her childhood is um, maybe the best writing stylistically. Do you agree with that? Like, she's creating a, a kind of mood there that I was like, oh, yes, I remember what it's like to be a child based on it's like she's using this very staccato kind mm-hmm. of yeah, writing no, style, very short sentences. Like, yeah, and in the picture that's created in my mind, it was like kind of like glimpses here and it, kind of how it is represented yeah. in the movies a lot when people are doing flashbacks. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I felt like it was a, it was a, a very useful. Yeah, right. And it, it, it reminded me of like... The powerlessness of childhood. Okay, the powerlessness, yes. I mean, that that is something we've talked about before. Like, that is my memory of childhood, is being mm-hmm. powerless and confused. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and she captures that really nicely, but it like, there was something about like, well, actually, let me, let me read a little bit from, from some of the early part where she's, she's describing childhood. Uh, mummy is yellow. That color is all over her skin, but then it will go away. That's how it works. So it's time for school. We kiss her goodbye. Do we kiss her? I hope so. Then off we go. Satchels with books, crayons and stuff, a uniform, a school cap, and then a car ride with dad. And we're at Oakley house school. Uplands, uh, Swansea and Wales. Uh, the poet Dylan Thomas is, is, is from there. Is he? I'm six and I don't know about anything. <laughs> what do I do at school? What the hell do six-year-olds do? I'm only just six. Last month. My brother is seven. Eight next month. I got an action man toy and a wind-up watch on my birthday. Or maybe I got the watch for Christmas. It's difficult to remember. Looking back, it's as if I'm not actually there at all at school. But I am. I'm here. And so there are lessons. Let's draw a picture of my house. Or maybe I'm doing sums. Then there's a break and I run around the schoolyard. Football, not into that yet. Just run around, I think. Then lunch. I hate lunch. I don't like food. We're going to come back to the food thing. <laughs> As I don't like any food except sausage, eggs, and chips. Right? It's just like, there's something about that that just like puts me right back in the headspace of being that age. It's like, you know, it, it, like the, the style of the writing is sort of like drawing your attention in this way that like is very... Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's being a kid. I, mean, I think when you're a child, there's not a whole lot. It's often not a whole lot of dwelling on things. And of certainly yeah. our memories of childhood, we don't remember a lot of the prolonged moments. It's a lot of the highlights, right? So, right. And, and, and weird, weird minutiae, <laughs> like sensory details, I think were, yes, are always a, a big key to remembering <laughs> childhood stuff for me. Yeah. And there's, there's a, a, a bit like a little bit more where she's talking about when they come home and like, so for context, she's about to learn that her mom has died, right? That was mm-hmm. kind of previewed by the mommy's yellow thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but her memory of like the moment before her dad tells her that is, um, oh, there's a party, there's people at her house and there's cake and lemonade, right? She mm-hmm. calls it pop, but oh, there's cake and, and, and lemonade. And she's I love wrong cake. about that, but it's okay. <laughs> well, yes, of course it's wrong. Yes. My husband yeah. and I argue about this a lot, so. <laughs> um but yeah and she it's like it's like those yes again like food i think that like a lot of the strongest memories i have from childhood are like very food focused if there's food in the room like that's the thing that i remember i mean of all the memories of my childhood and food i remember sitting at a table a brown table in a kitchen with linoleum Mm -hmm. and a mug 
a, a, we used to keep our mugs in the freezer, a clear mug that was cold and is no longer cold, full of milk and a plate with broccoli and having to eat the broccoli and drink the oh milk to, like, together, which is the worst. Um, oh, before that is I awful. Could, yeah. Um, I remember that so well. And I'm sure mm-hmm. my parents would have had no idea how <laughs> how sticking that would be. But man, did it stick. And I still remember that. It's yes. a wonder that I eat broccoli. That I So, all right. So that's a good transition into... Because one one big theme in the book and we'll come back to sugar but like i want to talk about the the whole thing about being forced to eat food yeah because this is this is something that she talks a lot about she she talks about like she she refers to herself as like being a fussy eater as a child and there are like some scenes that she talks about um at school and at home of being forced to eat these things that just like it's like it feels like you're being asked to you know plunge knives into yourself yes (laughs) being asked to eat these foods um and i think that you and i both sort of uh that that resonated with both of us in some ways right Mm -hmm. yeah i mean we didn't have a lot of when we were younger i mean i obviously wasn't a part of many adult conversations when i was younger but i'm speaking from the standpoint of working in schools now and what we know about sensory systems and everything Mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of conversation about sensory development for children at the time at least it wasn't certainly as common as it is now yeah. So I think there were a lot of sensory things with food and textures. Um, for me, there was also sensory with clothing and um, tags yeah. and things like that where those things bothered me. And they bother a lot of kids, but I think they bother some kids more than other kids. Sure. But there wasn't language, in, at least within my family, to frame that and to understand. Mm-hmm. My parents accommodated some things very nicely, which was wonderful because some kids don't get that. Like they yeah. did cut tags out of my clothes and they did let me fold my socks in a weird way over my toes. The seam didn't touch my toes. But um, mm. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was a little weirdo. Um, but yeah. And I say that with love and there's nothing wrong with that for the parents out there who have kids like that because we know that it has to do with the sensory system and the development of that system now. Um, and probably there are people who always knew that, but uh, now there are more people who know that. Indeed. So, but yeah, I think those are those are very poignant memories for me. Yeah. Yeah. And like with, with the food in particular, it's like, okay, I, I don't want to spend like too much time reading Eddie's words, but like this this one, I, I think I will read. Okay. That, yeah. I think you should. Um, so she says, um, quote, apparently I was very fussy with food. That's what people said to me. I don't believe I was fussy with food. I believe I was choosy with food. I believe I had a problem with certain foodstuffs. I believe I couldn't keep certain foodstuffs inside my body. They would just come back up. Unfortunately, they would come back up as vomit because of this vomit (laughs) issue, which, as I've said, was a big problem. I had a sort of deal going with some of the teachers. I'll eat anything you want, as long as you will welcome my vomit gladly. Yeah. Are you a fan of vomit? Because if you force me to eat liver, I will vomit on the plate. And it's like, <laughs> I, I, it's so, it's, okay. So this hit me hard from like sort of two different directions, right? Mm-hmm. I have very vivid memories of being forced to eat for certain things, right? That mm-hmm. just felt impossible to eat. It was like, I, I can't, I, there's no way that I can put this inside my body. I remember that feeling so vividly. Mm-hmm. And then as a parent, you know, cause like adults experience food very differently than, than children do, right? Yeah. Ne- neophobia is like a normal development stage. We often have the luxury of autonomy when it comes to our food. Well, that that's very true <laughs> as well. But like but yet, also- no, right? food neophobia is like is like a a normative developmental stage all kids Mm -hmm. have this thing that happens where they become extraordinarily resistant to eating things that they're not familiar with Mm -hmm. and um and then you lose that as you age 
Yep. Right. Or at least, you know, most people do. A lot of people do. I couldn't um, eat salad until well into college. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that I did. Uh, I was my adventurousness and eating did not develop until like in my late 20s. Yeah. Right. Mid to late 20s. Um, and that's normal. I, I So I've got, you know, I've got these memories from childhood about how horrible that was. And like I developed all these tactics of like uh, secreting food off of my plate. Mm-hmm. I would like put it in my underpants. When I was a kid. Yeah. When my parents weren't looking, I would put the food in my underpants and then I would go to the bathroom and like get rid of it in the bathroom trash because I just I could I couldn't eat the food. Right. There was no way I could do it. And anyway, so I've got those memories. And then like from the perspective of a parent, it's like you kind of lose the sort of visceral reaction to that kind of thing. And it Mm -hmm. just gets irritating because your kid won't eat the food. (laughs) Yes. It's like you need to eat the food. So it's just I don't know, like her descriptions of these passages like. Yes filled me with a lot of feelings yeah me too and uh, you know it's certainly relevant to the way we approach feeding with our daughter too and um, yeah the, it help things like that helped me to remember what it was like and mm-hmm. um, yeah 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 um but yeah i mean i think that plus that what we've been told with eddie about the riding in the cars and the nausea i think we have some definite indicators that there were some sensory system issues um you know oh for sure wasn't regulated well um and and it's just it's always so heartbreaking to look back. Of course, this is true of all history, right? It's always so heartbreaking to look back and to know how much people suffered because of lack of knowledge. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, that's just, it's just the way of life, right? I mean, we don't know stuff until we know it. And um, right. it doesn't always feel like intense suffering at the time, um, or at least not in the way that it does when we look back on it. So Yeah, no, I think, I think that's well said. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I, I, I guess this, this theme kind of, extends into a lot of the things that she ends up delving into in this book because Mm -hmm. it's like her her uh her needs and her emotions around things like food are clearly being sort of dismissed and disregarded by adults yes and at a boarding school that sounds like a really i don't know what the word is i so i at some point i want to talk about how this is painful for me and having worked at a group home too um mm. so but we can save that for when we get more t- or i can do it now i don't know what do you think yeah no no this i think this is a good moment you're yeah. kind of our keeper of any semblance of structure so i like nope. to defer to you on these do things. it this is not this um, cannot be a structured episode sarah that would be that would be counter, disrespectful yeah. to eddie exactly yeah. okay mm-hmm. well i just I, for some of this you know there there are a lot of reflections and this is the part of the book that i definitely read i don't think i got to jazz chickens so i'm really <laughs> sad about that because that sounds like a really important piece there um, were no jazz chickens, actually. Well, there you go. I didn't even go. finish to know that there weren't jazz chickens. Um, <laughs> so, see, joke's on me. Um, at any rate, like, a lot of this is, is it resonates with me because I, I, I have a lot of, of pain and somehow grief and, and um, the sense of being complicit in, obviously not, I'm not going to say crimes against children, but in, in the, not even the mistreatment of children exactly, because it's, Working at a group home, you have kids come in. These kids have had very little control of their lives. Yeah. They've had weirdly, they've had control of many things that children shouldn't have control over, like you know, un unbridled access to anything on the internet or TV, right? Like so they, they've seen so many things. They've been able to roam and do whatever they wanted, and yet they had so little 
structure and so little control over other aspects of their lives like the people who come into their household right and there there are things that they just haven't gotten to have a typical childhood experience so they would come in and a lot of the ways in which they would you know seek to assert control over their lives um came across very much as defiance and i mean technically it was defiance but um (laughs) hearing you know this this experience of eddie's at the boarding school um just I don't know. It it just feels it's painful. It's painful yeah. to reflect on that with with her and then also feel like as much as I was trying to be a a cushion for all these children and mm-hmm. to be their advocate to help people understand why they would make the choices they would make and do the things that they did, it just felt like they must have felt like this powerlessness that Eddie felt at this boarding school a lot. Yeah. Um on the one hand, like, there's a part of me that's like, I'm so glad I was there because the kids that I was able to advocate for hopefully benefited in some way from that advocacy and that protection that I tried to offer. But it just, it seems grossly inadequate. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Um, no, it does. I, I mean, I, and I, you know, I don't, I don't have exactly the same experiences. I haven't worked at a place that that's the, the kind of environment that you're describing, but like, I definitely, I definitely had some of the the same things in terms of, uh, you know, how I've interacted with my stepson yeah. and and things like that, and like reflecting on particular moments where I probably didn't have as much empathy for the experience right. he was having in some of those moments, and I was I was very focused on like, but you, you know, but you have to do X, like wait, uh huh, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I think that that, I think that that does speak to the quality of her writing here yes because it, it's it, this is like a, a particularly like gut-wrenching and and evocative piece of the book yeah i mean it's not like he's it's not like she's describing intense trauma it's not like she's describing f- you know intense physical abuse it's not those things but it's still all of those things are bad for children not just because they're bad for their bodies but because it contributes to the sense of powerlessness and, mm-hmm. and i think that that comes through for me a lot it also yeah. comes through for me because it's just it's something i'm very sensitive to um mm-hmm. through some of my own experiences but also through you know having worked in this environment with those kids yeah yeah absolutely right and and yes and we we all know my stance on childhood so <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like so I, you know, I don't want to do too much psychoanalyzing around this. Sure. Um, no, I think we're good. But, well, the, about what I'm about to say next. Oh, which, oh, gotcha. Which is, you know, the things with the things with food. Again, like a common a, a, a thing that she keeps bringing up throughout the book is like sugar is the devil. Sugar is addictive. Mm-hmm. I've been addicted to sugar, all this stuff, and it's the worst thing for you. And you know, it like. Lots of lots of self-deprecating comments around how much she liked cake and, you know, being uh, like comments about her body and like all this kind of stuff. And like I couldn't help but connect that to some of some of these sort of like earlier scenes about the powerlessness and the not being able to control what you were putting in your body and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. Like I don't again, no, I don't want to get too Freudian that- about it, but. I don't think that that's even all that Freudian. I mean, it's like, it, to me, it just comes back to power. And like, mm-hmm. this is something that she can control now. And her life didn't feel like a thing she could control then. And I imagine eating sugary things felt so indulgent or feels retrospectively so indulgent. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a thing that was outside of control. Um, or like, yeah. what am I trying to say? I can't capture her what I'm trying, what I'm thinking, but like sugar can 
feel like such a an indulgent thing and i think mm-hmm. reflecting on that she feels like like people feel about addictions and i i do i think the addiction yeah. framing is is a problem for i do too for foodstuffs i i, I strongly agree could not agree more <laughs> yeah. strongly that that is a problematic framing for this stuff about yeah. food because yeah. we have to eat to live and you don't have to do drugs to live. They're kind of you do, things. and 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 like I think that, and this is okay. <laughs> so not to plug the other podcast that I do, but we were we were recording about pornography, and uh, one of the things we were talking about is that there's some really interesting research indicating that like you know there's been this big rise over the past couple of decades in people reporting that they have porn addictions, and some of the research that's been done on this is indicating that like oh no actually people aren't actually experiencing more problems with compulsive behavior around porn. They're just experiencing a lot of shame around it. Yeah. And the thing that really needs to be addressed there is the shame. And if you can, like, it it, it totally makes sense to me that, like, her, Eddie's, um, perceived dysregulation around food is, like, it, it very much seems to be mostly about shame <laughs> and less about compulsivity, right? And it's like, it seems very easy to confuse those two mm. things for each other in the moment. Sure. And it's like, if you can dismantle the shame, then like, you can also dismantle like what, what appears to be sort of compulsive eating or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, and there's just so, it feels, I don't know, when I hear Eddie reflect on her early memories too, it just feels like there were so many long interrupted periods of like not hearing from dad. Dad sounds oh, like a yeah. real cool dude too. Like- sounds really progressive in a lot of ways that um i feel like we're not typical at the same time and so like i actually have a lot of sympathy because i think that dad had no idea what to do with two boys and having to work full-time and it wasn't customary for men to single parent at the time right no um and so i don't think he had a lot of social support in that area now right even now that's fair yeah um but uh you know like I, i think I think he had no idea that his son had these internal struggles at boarding mm-hmm. school. I think he didn't have options. So like it was it was wonderful because Eddie talks about these things, but you never he never she never elicits um anger from you on behalf of her with regard to dad's decisions. Does that yeah. make sense? Um yeah. so I, I, I thought that was really well done. And it doesn't feel like a defensive kind of thing, like, oh I've got to protect my dad, but I, I think I don't know, I wanna meet Eddie's dad. <laughs> that's somehow yeah. like, even though eddie suffered at this boarding school and i you know i don't think dad had any clue um but no i agree with that like uh yeah eddie's dad sounds pretty cool yeah um and and also is uh if anybody watches the documentary um which i think is called believe that like dad makes an appearance a few times yeah. and, and seems very interesting but yeah. like just to just to add on to that a little bit so like uh there's a there's a scene very very early i think it's the first chapter where she's describing again like finding out that her mom died which dad tells her about like what struck me about it was like there there was something like very <laughs> very british about the way that dad was was you know delivering this news mm-hmm. sort of in a stiff upper lip kind of thing yeah you know? but also dad was like um yeah so i just i'm really sorry and i think that we should all just cry for a minute yeah and then Eddie and and her brother and her dad just all cried, and it's it, it like that that moment like really did stick out to me is like yes. I cannot imagine having that kind of moment with with my dad, 
Like that's not that's not the the kind of vulnerability I think that uh, he ever would have been willing to. I had glimpses of that kind of vulnerability with my dad. Um, yeah, and I it 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 elicits a little bit of longing from me too that I got to have more that I would get to have more of those because I mm-hmm. my dad and I have a lot of I, I love my dad I think he's an incredible man in so many ways but then we have we we frequently return to this sort of impasse about really core I don't want to I don't want to reduce it to political issues because that's the veneer but it it but with core uh, I I hear my daughter is here um, like core issues you know human rights and things that I I, I don't know I, I have some 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 daddy issues I guess is what I'm saying and <laughs> don't so we this all? spoke to me I, I've seen my dad tear up like maybe twice um mm-hmm. and Hang on, there's a there's a friend coming in. Hello, my ballerina. Oh my goodness, what do you have? Gummies. You have two containers of gummies. I didn't. This one's yours. <gasps> you got me gummies. You Aww. and Daddy got me gummies. That's so nice. That's so sweet, mine. Pearl. Hi, Pearl. And mine are strawberries, and yours are cherries. Oh my goodness, did you have fun at dance? Mm-hmm. They they made it really hard to open it for Daddy. They made it really hard to open it for Daddy. <laughs> Only popped open. Yeah. Um, actually, I was going to say, I kind of need to get another beer. So. Beer? <laughs> is, it's, is, a, uh, beer. Is, it's a juice, Pearl. It's a juice. It's an adult juice. juice. <laughs> is this a good time to take a break? If you'd only read, maybe you would learn. Maybe you'd have thoughts to share. When it is your turn to talk, so read. You gotta read. Read with me. Come read a book. If you'd only read. We're so sorry for that interruption. Um, we had a chicken debacle that we had and, to handle, and a, ch- and a children debacle. Yes, there were many debacles. <laughs> Some of us figured out we might be drunk. That, oh my! I don't want to point fingers, but I will say that your your spouse did point <laughs> fingers a little bit. He he did. He said it's not even noon. <laughs> he did dance duty today, and now he has both children downstairs while I while I do this. So I'm pretty sure I'm in the in the in the vicinity of like deadbeat mom for the morning. Look, so look, this is our job. We are working right now, and we make all of our money doing this. Yes, we do. so all right so i can't remember exactly what we were talking about before the break um i i think it was getting a little bit dark though so i can i read like a funny a funny quote that was funny please do okay (laughs) so uh this is connected to the food stuff which i think at least tangentially was connected to what we were talking about sure um it's all connected it's fine it's all the blanket yeah she here's a quote from eddie she says when I didn't have enough money, I would take a bit of butter or margarine, some sugar and eggs, some flour, and make a whole bowl of cake mix. And then I'd eat the whole bowl of cake mix, cake mix without baking it. Now, this is a very piggy thing to do, and obviously very reprehensible. And I could go to is cake it? prison for having done it. I did it last as- week. Sorry. <laughs> because-, <laughs> because as far as I know, there is no statute of limitations on cake crimes. <laughs> <laughs> As a child, when I was helping to bake a cake, I found that if you make cake mix and you put the cake mix into the oven, 
that cake comes out tasting less good than when it went in. Correct. And I just thought that was like a hilarious quote. So to bring us back to Uh the fact that this book is hilarious and not actually as dark as we're making it out to be. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt the quote, but I was feeling a little triggered because I legit made brownie mix last week for the exclusive purpose of eating it as brownie mix. And I ate the whole thing as brownie mix. Do you feel a little bit judged by Eddie right now? They do. I feel yeah. I feel judged. And I, you know what? I did it. And I don't regret it. I don't think you should go to brownie jail. Felt a little shame about it, but I think it's, I think it's other people's fault that I feel ashamed about that. Also, I my so oven too. is broken. That's sad. Probably it could get fixed faster if we would just look at it and try to figure out what was wrong and then decide if we needed to call a repairman or just replace it. But it's kind of hard. It, you know, that it turns hard. out when you just pretend that your oven's not broken and don't think about it, uh, nothing changes. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, I don't know. We don't even use our oven that much. We do most of our stuff stovetop, so. I do oven fairly often with children. Oh. You know, like, like you know, we, when we're feeling fancy, like kids. we want to be healthy, we'll do baked sweet potato fries. Oh, my. As opposed to fast food french fries. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't want to brag, but that's the kind of parent I am. And, uh,. <laughs> And now I can't even parent the way that I like to parent because my <laughs> oven is broken. That's that's very sad. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no. I like. I I felt like this was a little bit judgy. Like this is the kind of thing that if somebody was to say yeah. to say it to me in a conversation, I'd be like, "Wow, you're you're really not exhibiting a lot of compassion." I mean, but it's a it's a very funny quote, so I don't want to lose that part of it. Right. But at the same time, like, yeah, she, she's very self-deprecating around this yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it makes a pity thing to do. It's like, well, I legit did that last week, Eddie. Thanks a lot. Yeah, Eddie. <laughs> Don't be a jerk, Eddie. <sighs> Don't be a jerk to you and me, Eddie. Mm-hmm. Have some compassion for your childhood self and also my adult self. Exactly. And not everything is addiction, by the way. Correct. Well, I mean, we've covered that, I suppose. But um, So why don't we talk about... Like the the parts in the book where she she talks about like uh, sexuality and gender identity because I thought I thought that that was really interesting I was I was looking forward to that prior to reading the book because so well th- this is worth saying this book was published in 2017 Eddie sort of like went through this thing where she was she was it was like a very it happened in very quick succession she came out as trans and then change pronouns after the publication of this book right? right i honestly the way it felt to me was like we were all as a society learning more about gender pronouns and gender fluidity along with eddie like it very yes. much felt like this was like the public face of eddie's discovery of herself if that makes sense yeah i mean well i i don't know like I've so i've got i've got like complicated yeah. feelings about this because there's a pretty famous bit that Eddie has in Dress to Kill where she is talking about being a transvestite, right? An executive transvestite? An, adre- an executive transvestite. Um <laughs> but and, and maybe I'll maybe I'll insert a clip here from from the specific bit that I'm talking about because it's it's excellent and very funny. But she 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 uses the word transvestite in this and Dress to Kill is when when did that come out? I I was going to join the army when I was a kid. Yeah. Because uh, this is true, because uh, I'm, you know, if you're transvestite, you're not a drag queen. People think drag queen, but no, it's actually um, male tomboy. That's where it is, because gay men, drag queen, there we go, and male tomboy, um, uh, they're transvestite. Or male lesbian, because most transvestites fancy women. This is just a little bit of information for you, because you... <laughs> no one knows, no one fucking knows at all. So it's much more running, jumping, climbing trees, putting on makeup when you're up there type thing, you know? <laughs> 
And I used to keep all my makeup in a squirrel hole up the tree. And the squirrel kept all the makeup on one side and he kept his nuts on the other side. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, sometimes I get up the tree, that squirrel would be covered in makeup. La, 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 la. Oh, oh, you're here. Oh, sorry. What? Wrong color for me. What? Um, so, uh, Dress to Kill is 1999, and she's using this term transvestite to describe herself, and in this book, she, she makes a point of saying at one point, like, what, that what she meant by transvestite at the time is now what she would call transgender, which I thought was interesting. But in the clip, the way that she describes it, and like, I don't know, like, the way that I remembered her talking about this felt way more about gender expression than it did uh-huh. about gender identity. And so I went back and listened to it because I was curious if I would hear it differently because I, I feel like I've, I've learned a lot more about gender since I originally watched sure. this clip. And um, I did react differently to it now. So, but like the way that she's, you know, sort of making this accessible to people is very much by focusing on sort of gender expression type things and, you know, makeup and clothing is thing about the squirrel, you know, <laughs> It's like yeah. running, jumping, climbing trees, putting on makeup while you're up there, you know, hiding yeah. in the squirrel hole. And sometimes you get up there and that squirrel just covered in makeup. It's, yeah. So anyway, okay. <laughs> the The point is like, um, when I went back and listened to it, I like I I hear it differently now. Like knowing what I yes, do now, it does absolutely. sound like she was she was uh definitely saying more about identity that like the thing she was saying ran deeper than just like makeup and dresses yes Uh, but i didn't hear it that way at the time and so i don't know what i don't know what my point is it just like she i think that she did a nice job of making that accessible in her stand-up but like maybe didn't push her audience or you know maybe it's not a her problems and me problem i don't know i didn't know anything about see um, it just came across to me as like she literally had just not discovered all the terms that exist to well, that's to a great point to more accurately convey this information. Like, I I really felt like since the beginning of Eddie to now, like, I feel like we've learned things along with her, if that oh, makes yeah. sense. Like, and I, I think that it speaks to the experience that a lot of people from her generation and earlier and even some from slightly later generations have had to experience. And I, I also think like when I was listening to this, I was like, how different hopefully fingers crossed is the experience of so many younger children now like that they won't even have these moments where like they they feel like a category that doesn't exist because those categories do exist now in our in our verbiage in our yes in our you know colloquial language and i obviously you know again working at the group home i know for a fact there are going to be kids who still grow up like like Eddie did, and even in more oppressive of mm-hmm. environments. But I, I like to think that that's changing for so many of these kids and that they'll never have to have moments growing up where they're like, oh, oh, I'm not, you know, this is different and new and, you know, like it exists in yeah. the world and they don't have to feel isolated. Yeah, know. absolutely. And there's there's all these scenes that she talks about throughout the book where she's describing just like, laying in bed and trying to figure out how to even articulate to herself uh-huh. what her experience of gender is. Right. And it's, yeah, there's, there's one, there's one scene in the book that kind of stood out to me here. So she says, quote, um, one time later, she, and she's talking, uh, Eddie is talking about her stepmother, Kate. Um, so mm-hmm. she said to me, well, you just like dressing up, don't you? 
the implication being that my identity was all about the clothes, which it wasn't and isn't. Clothing and makeup are part of the way I wish to express myself, as they are for everyone. But I feel I expressed myself in response to my built-in boy-girl genetics. That's so the, the context for this. Like there, there are these long passages where she's sort of like struggling to articulate the, uh-huh. um, like the depth with which she, she's trying to express gender fluidity, right, and how it feels like a a, a very deep an inherent part of her identity and the way that she sort of lands on expressing this is like, it's just part of my genetics. Like I, I, I've just, I've got some DNA that's like consistent with girls and I've got some DNA that's consistent with boys and they're both being expressed. And it's like, it's, it's an interesting way of articulating it. Um, but I, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about the scene in particular because it's like, it contradicts my original reading of that bit from dress to kill. Right. Okay. I was reading that as all about expression. And she's saying pretty clearly here that, like, this has never been just about gender expression. Yeah. Right. Um, and I missed that at the time, you know, watching this as a teenager um, in college. Um, I didn't get that. I am trying to figure out if if I am not following because <laughs> because I've just always gotten it because I'm so intuitive or if I'm still not getting it. But I, I feel like. I don't know. I just feel like people like Eddie who aren't fortunate enough to grow up in like a little bubble where there exist other people like them, like feel isolated and like something's weird about them. Mm-hmm. And like, it's all s- such a continuous thing and they're somewhere else on the continuum. I'm having trouble articulating what I'm thinking about it too. It's yeah. also hard, I'm sure, because I don't have the same experience as Eddie, of course. Sure. Um, But I just, I really feel like we've gotten to see Eddie's ability to express and accept her identity like from the 90s to now like yeah. I I feel like we've gotten to witness that mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that appeals to me about her is this the vulnerability there and it also there are times when I kind of felt sad for her and kind of mourned that it was such a long time coming for her that she it's almost like she didn't get to she didn't she didn't know what she didn't know obviously and like she didn't get to experience some of the freedom that comes with with owning your identity and and who you are um mm-hmm. until later in life and i don't i don't think that she would want to view that with remorse or anything and so no. I, i'm glad for her but i also a little bit kind of feel sad for her and for other people who had to wait so long before they felt valid yeah yeah and 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 she she speaks she speaks to those people, I think, very explicitly in this book. Yeah. And there's some there's some really moving passages. I've got actually I've got a sentence or two that here uh, queued up. That's good timing. She says, quote, if you have an alternative sexuality, which is my way of saying LGBTQ plus, you shouldn't uh-huh. feel guilty about it or ashamed about it because you didn't choose it. I say that. I claim that. <laughs> I believe that. Uh-huh. Because I believe it is about genetics or the genetic codes we are given. Obviously, I'm not a scientist or a geneticist or a psychiatrist, but through the reading I've done and my own self-analysis, I've come to understand it this way, which is why I feel that women who like to throw on a pair of heels, a skirt, and makeup have in some in some of their genetics the same genetic code that I have, exactly the same. We know that the human genome is massive, and whatever that bit is, that bit that encourages us to wish to express ourselves in heels and skirts and makeup, I have that bit. I feel it's exactly the same for me as it is for those who also have that same genetic code. So it's like, it's, you know, 
there are like critiques of this sort of like, I think that some people would probably look at this passage and say that she's doing sort of like a trans medicalism thing. And there's, there's critiques of that kind of approach to understanding gender identity. But like, I want to put all that aside <laughs> because I, I think that her point here is like, I think it's, I think it's mostly about the, the shame bit and the saying yes, that like, yes, this I is agree. a, this is a perfectly valid way to like experience your own identity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, genetics is the language that she's she's sort of expressing that through, but like I think because because there's some validity there, right? Like she wants she wants to say like because it's it exists, whereas like gender identity feels like a fluffy extra layer on top of mm-hmm. what is real, and so she's trying to find a, a framework that conveys it as real. If that makes it, sense, yes, I yeah. think that that is exactly it. Do I wish she would use like biology instead of genetics? Then yes, because I think you know, but well, but even that like. So again, like I, I, I think that it's probably unproductive to get to get too far down this rabbit hole. But like, there, there have been, I think, some very persuasive arguments that like this, this shouldn't even be the focus of the conversation in terms right. of like whether particular gender identities are valid or not. If a person has a gender identity, that's valid. It doesn't matter yeah. if it's like if yeah. we can tie it to some particular gene, right? So I'm. You know, I'm, I, I want to acknowledge that that is a perspective out there, but I also yes. like I think that the core of what she is saying is like, don't feel bad about your identity. You're yeah. valid, whatever it is. She's yeah. using the language of of biology right. and genetics to say that. Yeah, but you know. yeah, I mean, I think it just it's, it's a reflection of how we've illegitimized. Yes, it is gender identity, and it yeah. is. And, and and you know, for the record, like, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but like I, you know, I do, I do think. That like, you know, everything about our identity is I think I think it's it's reasonable to talk about that in terms of in terms of biological contributions to it. Um, And so I don't I don't think anything she's saying here is like, you know, factually wrong. But I just I wanted to I wanted to acknowledge the perspective that like you don't need that. You don't need that in order for the identity to be valid. Um, And and so and then after this this passage she spends a lot of time talking about like really frustrating experiences that she's had with the mental health system uh in regards to to gender identity stuff frustrations about like pathologizing gender and i think that that was really interesting too so she specifically sort of calls out the language of gender dysphoria yeah which i think is interesting I, yeah i've still had st- i think they need a label for it Mm-hmm. from insurance like yeah. that's that's the way i oh see God, it like right? legitimate yeah it's it, but it yeah. bothers me too you know we should we should find a book that allows us to just explore that concept in detail because i agree i've got i've got a lot of thoughts about the fact that like so much of sort of like categorizing disorders or conceptualizing disorders is built around insurance <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, well, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that speaks to so many layers of this problem, right? Yeah. I mean, I've always, ever, ever since the beginning of, of grad school, I've always felt like, you know, like if you, if you get an MMPI, you get kind of like, almost like a personality code, right? Like it's not, you get some, like a series of factors, right? That kind of give you this, it's like a book with chapters as opposed to a book. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I've always thought that mental health should be more designed in that way that it's so categorical you have depression or you don't you have anxiety or you don't yes and like it's more about clusters of traits that 
you can experience these things and you can function or you can experience these things and start to have more and more trouble functioning. Right. And that's when it becomes a problem, right? Like, and, and you can be a pretty depressive person, but find ways to cope. And, you know, and, and so it's just it, sometimes the, the categorization, I think, is a real problem. There, there are categories that we go into. You, you, you have sure. Ehlers-Danlos, right? You can have that or you don't have it. That's not really a continuum, although there is variability on like, you know, collagen production and muscle fibers and all those things. But like the, the point being that in mental health, I think we, we have to have these diagnostic codes to have people be afford, able to afford mental health. <laughs> yeah. And we, um, we categorize people, but sometimes I think we, it's a problem. The categories yeah. become a problem. Yeah. Okay. So maybe we don't need another text to talk about this issue. Um, <laughs> it's because no, I I totally agree. Like I so I you know I've I've uh, I think I've talked about this on prior episodes. Who can tell at this point? But like I've been seeing a therapist for about two years now, which has been fantastic and has really changed my attitude toward therapy in a deep way, like more than I would have expected because I've always been pro you know people taking care of their mental health, but like right. being in it has really changed my attitudes anyway but like i realized um not too long ago actually that like oh wait i have some sort of diagnostic code associated with me seeing this therapist yeah and like i asked i asked my therapist about it and and she like told me what it was and it was like you know adjustment disorder or something which i think is like you know the insurance code for like life is hard right which is most of the people <laughs> that go and seek out a counseling psychologist right yeah and it just like i don't know it's it's caused me to reflect a lot on the fact that like they're they're so as you were saying right like so many of the structures are built around having to put people into these boxes and it should be like see seeing a seeing a counselor i feel like should be more like this sh- this is preventative care. This is like getting a cleaning at the dentist. This yeah. is like, you know, getting getting a, a yeah. pap smear or something, right? You're doing something proactive, but like, no, we have to we have to put people in, into categories that pathologize whatever struggles they're having in order f- to <laughs> for people to be able yeah. to to bill it to insurance. And it's like I don't know. There's something there that like I just yeah. I don't know. Like some some of the framework, if this helps anybody understand what I'm trying to say, like some of the framework that I have is like, if you have all these spectrums and you can have like scales, it's like a rating scale, but like if you have an autism scale and an ADHD or maybe just a neuroatypicality scale yeah, <laughs> and like you have these other levels and you could have an autism zero or you can have an autism four and you could have a depression zero or a depression 20, you know, like just it slides, right? And mm-hmm. so at a certain point, if you have enough of higher numbers, you end up in a range that reflects that you're really struggling. And I don't know, it just, yeah, sometimes the categorical thinking is, well, look at our, look at our society. I mean, good Lord, mm-hmm. we have real issues with bipartisan politics, right? And people not being able to think outside those boxes True. because yeah. it's inconsistent with their political beliefs or whatever, you know, it's it's a mess. Categorical thinking has gotten us gotten us into a lot of messes, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Stuff that for a game of soldiers, <laughs> huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a phrase that I learned from yes. Eddie's book. She taught me that, and I I asked Dan about it because he's our UK expert. I was like, Dan, is this like a consultant? real consultant? It's. <laughs> I was like, Dan, is this a real phrase? Is this like a common idiom? And she, he can, Dan confirmed that yes, indeed, stuff that for a game of soldiers. Very sprinkle that into the conversation. 
need to bring that. So I've been trying. I've been trying to find moments. Well, when we're is... trying to put Dan at ease, we'll yeah. throw out phrases like that. Make him feel like he's back at home. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. He... yeah so stuff that for a game of soldiers. So we're passing that on to you, listeners. Um, this is a an idiom. A, a British idiom, uh, and it means, um, I think it just roughly means, like, well, fuck that, right? I think. I don't know. Stuff that for a game <laughs> of soldiers. Anyway, yeah, so, you know, your next cocktail party, you can throw yeah. that out and sound uh, sophisticated. All right, so uh, so stuff get, stuff that for a game of soldiers. Um, so the last the last thing that I really want to talk about, and there's there's so much that we could talk about in this book. There's a lot of really interesting things about it's too big to talk about all of Eddie's books. She did too much. Um, but <laughs> on the theme of doing too much, um, Eddie's last, it's, it's the second to last chapter in the book is titled A Theory of the Universe. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Which comes out of nowhere, right? Like, this is just, this is, an, you know, it's a memoir. It's Jazz Chickens. It's Eddie. And then all of a sudden, she's just like, okay, I've got this physics theory. (laughs) And I was like, holy shit. Okay. All right, Eddie, I'm here for this. I'm here for whatever you want to do. So, um, yeah. So this chapter is just her musings about astrophysics. And it's the best. Um, The opening of this chapter, I'm going to quote. Normally, one should be a super-brained person, already proven in the area of universe theories, to have a theory of the universe. Well, I just thought I'd throw one in there. (laughs) Close quote. (laughs) So that's awesome. Already, I'm in. Yeah, already. I'm totally in. So she goes on to point out, and, and, oh my god, okay, I have so much to say about this, but like, she goes on to point out that the guy who came up with plate tectonics was actually not credentialed in the area of plate tectonics, which she is absolutely right about. He was a meteorologist. Um, and, she, and she says, this is funny, she says, uh, quote, which is a scientist, but a sky scientist and not a ground scientist. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was funny. Right. Yeah. And so it was funny listening to this at the time that I did, because um, for the podcast that I do with my physicist friend, Brian, um, I had been reading a lot about the specifically the debate over plate tectonics, which is actually a very interesting story. But it was also funny because people really like to use stories like this one to justify why their harebrained theory of how quantum physics means ghosts exist is reasonable. And like that actually bugs the shit out of me. Right. So I like I'm Eddie gets a pass uh, because she's doing this in a very self-aware and self-deprecating way. But I just I thought it was funny because I was specifically thinking about how like people are like, you know, well, I don't need to be credentialed to, um, you know, claim that ivermectin is a good uh, way to prevent or treat COVID. You you know, like credentials don't mean everything. The guy who came up with plate tectonics was not a a geologist or whatever. And so, I don't know. I was thinking about all of this as as I was listening to it, and it was funny. Uh, By the way, ivermectin is not a good treatment for COVID. Yeah, and I was going to say, I appreciate the thread of like, I don't trust vaccines or what's in them, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to give ivermectin not knowing what in the world that drug is or how it works. Yeah, it's an antiparasitic. It is. Well, I think it has some antiviral properties or something. There's there's some tiny piece 
that people cling on to to say it would work that like there's some mm-hmm. thread of legitimacy somewhere there but, were um, there were legitimate reasons when when we were in the stage of like throwing everything in the kitchen sink sure. at covid there was reason to try everything including sure. ivermectin in these trials but there is no evidence that ivermectin yeah. actually treats covid just want to be perfectly yeah, clear no. on that yeah no i think it's really important that we are clear on that yes. um, there is n- no yeah back to eddie so Eddie's theory about the universe is that the universe, like the Earth, is round. It's like a globe. And that that's why there's no edge to the universe. That's her oh. grand theory of it. She, she, says, she says, quote, can I do equations for it? No. Can I prove it? No. Can I get a compass and a ruler and show it? No. But if that's what's happening on a planet, I think that's what's happening in the universe. This theory leans into the edge of the universe problem. That there is no edge to the universe. There can't be an edge of the universe. That's why it's always been a huge question. Where does the universe end? Maybe it doesn't end. That's Eddie on the universe. (laughs) And then, and then, all right, and this, this brings us back to the atheism thing that we were talking about earlier. And then she somehow segues from this grand theory of the universe not having an edge because it's actually a globe or something. She segues from that into a discussion of humanism that is actually very, very touching. Huh. And I think that the logic is theory of the universe to there is no God required for the Big Bang or the Big Crunch or whatever, to some people think that the Goldilocks principle means that there must be a God, but Eddie doesn't agree because a kind and loving God would have killed Hitler, that mass murdering fuckhead, she says, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But he didn't, right? Um, God didn't kill Hitler, that is. To this, right? So she she goes from all those things to this quote. She says, quote, we're on our own. We have to sort the world out ourselves. Because if you look at the history of civilization, it has been human beings that have helped other human beings uh, down through the ages, not gods helping human beings. Some people say I'm a non-believer, but I am a believer. I believe in humanity. I believe in people. I believe in our ability to make the world a better more compassionate and more civilized place. End quote. It's, it is lovely. I think it is. It was a weird way to introduce the topic with yeah. her theory of the universe being a globe, but like yeah. Oh, and then right, like after she says that quote, she goes right back into her theory of the universe. <laughs> and there's a passage about the the universe wrapping in on itself, you know, much like So anyway. I find like big physics, big universe, big space, like all of that is fascinating and beautiful and wondrous but also terrifying mm-hmm. um there's a book series i've mentioned before that i read there, there's a reason i'm saying this i promise it's a few steps to get there i believe but, um, it's like it's an urban fantasy series the jane yellow rock series by faith hunter um i don't know how other people feel about them but you know they meet that that criteria set that i have of like female protagonists doing stuff that doesn't exist in the real world yeah so anyway she is she's she's a she's a person of duality and has this other soul that's a, combined with her is the soul of a puma con color or like a mountain lion basically and the mountain lion likes to frequently remind us that i can count numbers one two three four five and more than five um no <laughs> need to count higher than five and that's how my brain feels about the universe like i know it's there mm-hmm. but my brain cannot conceive of the bigger things i like and that the analogy. idea that there's an edge to the universe and then what in the world would contain the universe really starts to make me sweat a lot. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So my, I think of it as my mountain lion brain is like beyond this point. It doesn't help me to know it. There's no point. (laughs) And it only increases my anxiety. Mm -hmm. I think people who can conceive of these things and their amazing, incredible brains are wondrous people. Super brain people. Yes. Yeah. They're incredible. And like, I respect the hell out of that. And I love to watch the shows they make on Netflix. (laughs) But the idea of ever like being able to conceive of like, black holes really upset me antimatter upsets me like those are things that my brain can't black holes are are objectively upsetting i'm i'm right there with you the 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 event horizon see event horizon seems like the most terrifying place that one could possibly be that seems terrible it does seem Mm -hmm. terrible it just seems really hard it's hard my brain is like oh god yeah, and and or infinite. oh, not God, you know, depending on who. <laughs> I have problems with plausible scenarios for why I could be tortured forever. Right? It's it just goes back to my childhood fear of hell. I'm pretty sure, but like, uh-huh. there are some theories of how that could actually exist, and I think that the event horizon of a black hole is one of them. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so that's mm-hmm. cool. Anyway, so that didn't help your existential dread. I'm sorry. No, um, I didn't. But fortunately, I don't know what the event horizon of a black hole is, and I'm not oh. going to find out. Don't oh, tell okay. me. Okay, I won't tell yeah, you. Yeah, I don't want to know. Yeah, you can, you can tell somebody else. <laughs> you uh, <laughs> Listeners, you can, Glenn, Glenn and Cadence, you can, you can Google it. It's really fun. So um, here's the last quote I want to read from Eddie. This is from the last chapter of her book, Believe okay. Me, that you should all listen to on Audible. There's also the fact that I've always tried to do things with my life that impressed me and that I thought were interesting. I like to do things that make me personally go, I really don't know how I did that. Like running 27 marathons? (laughs) Yeah, which she did. Yeah, Eddie did that. Yeah, it's it's nuts. Um, So there's a little bit of masochist in Eddie, but I think we already knew that. There definitely is. And, you know, we didn't get too Freudian (laughs) about that. But like I but I really like that sentiment because I think um, the things in my past that give me the most pride are also the things that like. When I'm in a certain mood, also give me a lot of shame. And I'm like, wow, that shit was crazy. Like, how did I go spend a night on the Appalachian Trail by myself when I was like 21? Like, that's oh, no, that's I fucking th- crazy. I think that's I think your time on the Appalachian Trail is great. Yeah. It, well, that, yeah, that's my point. It's like I, that, I think that the it's those moments that I feel a lot of ambivalence about that I'm actually most proud of. And so I'm with Eddie on that. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sarah. I feel like this was a very rambling and incoherent podcast, but we did it on purpose because we, we wanted to honor no, Eddie's book. No, you did book. it on purpose. I did it because that's my natural state. <laughs> that's how no, this always like, goes for me. This seemed like the only respectful approach to talking about this book, right? I mean, yeah. We could we could have spent hours talking about all the different topics covered. So, yeah, no, I, I, think, I think you and I covered some of the main ones. Mm-hmm. I don't think we explained. There's one thing I explicitly wanted to say. You know, we talked about the sensory component of Eddie's food thing, but we didn't talk about the fact that he was asked to eat a couple things that were real, real gross that Mm -hmm. I think almost any kid would throw up. What was it like? Warm milk and noodles? It was, it was lukewarm. It was lukewarm milk or something. No, ma- like macaroni, that. macaroni. Oh, macaroni. That's right. That's yeah, right. That's right. And lukewarm, yeah. yeah. I was like, gosh, bless your heart. That doesn't even. That's not even. That's not even your problem, Eddie. That's no. not an internal thing. That's just gross. That's not being a picky eater. That's people surviving in the wilderness on berries and nuts would probably be like, so. yeah, 
No, um, there's no way. It's actually, I did, I did, uh, I did pull out a quote about that. So, quote, back at St. John's, that's the boarding school that he was at, or that, that she was at. So, back at St. John's, they must have had a chat with the devil and asked, what do you think is the, is, is a completely <laughs> disgusting meal we could serve to children that would haunt them forever? And the devil must have said, well, you know, you could always try macaroni in warm milk. Now, the milk on its own I loved. Cold milk? Yes, yum. But hot milk? No. Warm, tepid milk? Oh, no, no. No, 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 no. All wrong. Add that to the macaroni and it's very wrong. Extremely wrong. <laughs> so that's yeah, that beautiful. that one's not on you, Eddie, or your sensory system. That's no. on the school. No, that's fantastic. It's dreadful. <laughs> I'm assuming there were budget restrictions, but still... <laughs> Yeah, I love that. That's fantastic. I'm glad you said that because that would have been sad to not to not. I think I had one one thing on my mental list of things I wanted to mention, and that was mm. that was one thing that made it. So, well, all right, Sarah. I think we did a show. I think <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess we'll find out <laughs> if this makes it onto the internet somehow. I guess th- it'll exist. Yeah, it'll be legitimate, much like the spherical nature of the universe. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> This has been fun. I've missed this a lot. I have too. Um, um, I miss feeling close, like I've wormed my way into someone else's ear. Yes. And, like I'm their home in their heads. You're like um, a maggot in the No, ear. no, no. Oh, oh That's no. That's gross. Sorry. I'm like a little, I'm a cute little brain worm. <laughs> yeah. You're an earworm. It's different than a maggot. Yeah. It's more of a symbiosis as opposed to a parasitic situation. Maggots totally. mess you up. But I'm like a little benign earworm we're just working yeah we work together to make your brain better and my brain better it's like the wormhole in pokemon sometimes i say things and and i have thoughts after and i'm like oh did i just show people how weird i am inside my head and i Um, think that might be one of those times i think that that's why they love you sarah i think that's why we all love you that's also why some of my coworkers sometimes stare at me when i tell them how much i like to love run a paintbrush over my skin like it feels (laughs) really good and they're like oh you're strange I'm like, no, hmm. I have sensory stuff. And people with sensory that we work with now do grow up to be adults who are functional. Mm-hmm. And we have to think of them as people who aren't just weird, but just people. It's very true. So I like to normalize some of those things that the kids do. I'm like, yeah, no, I have tactile sensory stuff, too. That's why yeah. I twirl my hair now as an adult. And, you know, it might be weird. And I try not to do it in meetings. But it's also who I am. And, <laughs> you know, you guys can deal with it. I think that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> So Sarah, we have we have one more ritual that we need to oh. do. Yes. What are we reading next? <laughs> you asked that with a lot of hesitation because I um I don't think we know. Do we know? So I was thinking we could do Severance uh okay. by Ling Ma. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it's um I have I have already read it, but I will reread it. Um, it's it's a really interesting novel, and it's like on its face, it kind of seems like a, a, a apocalyptic zombie novel, but it's not really that. It's <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think it sounds interesting. It's quite good. I recommend it to people absolutely. So like, yeah, maybe we'll do that next. Yeah. Okay. I mean, as an aside, I think we've also read a lot of like white British authors. Mm-hmm. So I would love for us to do a book by an author that is not a man and not um, white or British. I mean, again, no offense to Dan. 
<laughs> yeah, no offense, Dan. Um, but yeah. Okay, fantastic. All right, folks. So, Glenn, Cadence, get your, uh, you know, dust off your reading glasses, That's your right. spectacles, if you will. And we're going to do Severance by Ling Ma next. Fantastic. Yay. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Lindsay. This has been delightful. Thank it you has. to our listeners for joining us again. Thank we're you back, to our patrons. Baby. <laughs> yes, thank you to our patrons for sure. <laughs> And I don't, I don't want to like spoil things too much. You know, my my sister lives up here. My sister, one of our fabulous patrons, of lives course. up here this way. Um, and unfortunately for me, but fortunately for her, and the world is likely to be moving to another state soon because she'll be working and doing some important work. But I just want to say this: uh, my understanding is that NASA has to do a background check on her before she can start her job, and I think that's <laughs> really cool. Most people don't get to say that. Oh, I'm ending my NASA background check. So Glenn and Cadence are going to be like wiretapping her too soon. Yeah. That's so. So congrats to Katie for that. And yeah. we'll miss you, but we're excited for you on this next. Congratulations, Katie. That's and to be clear, not working directly for NASA. So no. add that layer there. It's mystery. Yes. Of course. And once yeah. everything is finalized, of course, I'll brag about her <laughs> some more. So, but yes, congrats, Katie. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that does it, Sarah. Boy, boy, boy. Take like 500,000 and one. We like to read because reading books is an excellent occupation. We like to read, we like to read, we an important prerequisite. Come read a book. Come 